0: and you can get an extra three months free expressvpn.com slash slash film.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for November 15th, 2017. On today's show, we're going to be taking a look at the Rotten Tomatoes score for Justice League. We'll be taking a look at the opening weekend box office tracking for that movie. Uh, Quinn Tarantino supposedly wants Tom Cruise for his upcoming film. Uh, Christopher Tolkien Resigned from the Tolkien estate, what does this mean for the future of Lord of the Rings? And uh, there's a film called Boss Level that we want to talk about. And in addition to that, we're going to get in, get into the mailbag, and we're going to be talking about um, separating the ability to separate the art from the artist. This is Peter Soretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's up? And Slash Film Writer Huay Tran Hey, everybody. See, n- n- now that you're back, you're on every episode, taste. So is- I
2: know. This is very exciting. I feel like a special guest.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, let's jump right into it, because Justice League is coming out this week, and as we reported yesterday on the podcast, Rotten Tomatoes had, uh, help- was saying that they were going to hold the score, the Rotten Tomatoes score, for that film to debut on their web series, and um, but apparently they messed up and the, the score leaked early. So what, what do we know, HT?
2: Uh, so the review embargo for Justice League was lifted this morning, um, early this morning, and the review started uh, trickling in. Uh, and usually we would see the Rotten Tomatoes score pop up r- immediately afterwards, but because Rotten Tomatoes is pushing back that reveal until Thursday at midnight, uh, we had no such hope of that, except for uh, an unofficial um, sort of leak on Flixster, which is also owned by Fandango, the parent company of Rotten Tomatoes. So if you checked Flixster that morning, uh, you would see the Rotten Tomatoes score right there on the app. But unfortunately, the the score was taken down shortly afterwards. Uh, but People who were eagle-eyed and saw the score right away screenshotted it, and we saw that it had, at first, a 48%. And later on, a 51% before it was taken down. So that would certify it as a rotten rating. The Rotten Tomatoes scoring level goes as up until 60%, it's rotten. But after you get to 60 to 75%, that is fresh. And 75% and above, it is certified fresh. So it's a, it's a mixed bag, decidedly.
1: And I know a lot of people on Twitter, I, I see a lot of people in my film Twitter stream being like, Of course it's Rodden, of course. But I, I think it's kind of surprising, uh, mm-hmm. that one out of every two critic that is in this Rotten Tomatoes rating thus far has liked the movie. Do know I mean? Half half the critics are liking the movie. I, I I think um even though the movie is rotten, I think that is a uh vast improvement over Batman versus Superman and Suicide Squad, which it was like, what, one out of every five critics like the movie? So, yeah. Yeah. This
2: puts um, Justice League decidedly in the middle of all the DCEU movies. And it could even go higher because we saw that three-point jump in the two hours that the Rotten Tomato score was on Flixster. So it could be up to 60% even or just like just getting by the, um, the fresh rating once it the official rating becomes revealed on Thursday. So you never know. H- have either of you seen the movie yet? I have not.
1: No, I see it tonight. Uh, I'm, I'm interested to get your impressions on it. By the way, I saw a Downsizing last night, which I'm not sure if I'm allowed to talk about, but it, it premiered at a film festival, so I, I'm sure I can. And I really liked it. I liked it a lot. I know it's getting mixed reviews, and I, I can totally understand why it's getting mixed reviews. I think... um. I think older audiences will not like this movie. I think it's not a uh, movie that's an easy sell. It's very different than what it's being promoted as. And it's, uh, it's weird. It's a weird movie. Mm. So uh, I enjoyed it. But anyways, let's get back to justice league. Uh, uh, we, we we were t- talking about the, 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 the rotten tomato score, but uh, you know, none of that matters uh, if it isn't for the money that it's going to make, because if it, if it is not a success, you know, that will determine what Warner Brothers does with the future of this franchise. So, Ben, you wrote this up for the say, what what is Justice League tracking as?
0: Yes. So right now, um, Variety reports that the opening weekend number domestically that they're sort of anticipating that Justice League is going to make is going to be one hundred and ten million dollars. Um, so Batman versus Superman pulled in one hundred and sixty six million dollars in that film's opening weekend. Uh, Wonder Woman only pulled in. I think it was like one hundred and three. Yeah, that's right. One hundred and three million. So it's uh you know, Justice League is looking to be higher than Wonder Woman, lower than Batman versus Superman. So take all of that as you will. It's sort of one of those things where it seems like this movie is going to be critic proof just because it has these characters coming together in live action for the first time, um, as we've seen with. And for Superman and Suicide Squad, both of those movies had way worse reviews than what Justice League is, is currently looking at according to the, the leak from this morning. Uh, those movies opened you know and, and had like a 25, 26 percent or something like that on Rotten Tomatoes, but still ended up making you know 800 million dollars or something. So I'm guessing uh, Justice League is probably going to be uh, in that realm as well. It also could end up doing very well. Uh, worldwide in its opening weekend the estimates according to deadline are that it could pull in anywhere from 325 to 355 million because it's opening uh, in china at the same time as in like over 4,000 theaters in north america Um, obviously the chinese audience is a is a really big draw especially for you know big budget blockbuster superhero films like this Um, and if it does end up pulling in those numbers that would put it Higher than way higher than Suicide Squad and uh, Deadpool, which also was like a huge international success last year. So,
1: yeah, uh, yeah, that's what we're looking at. And Mark Hughes from Forbes dot com mentions on Twitter that, um, you know, it might not be as brutal as it looks because Batman vs Superman suffered brutal week weekly drops where Justice League. Um, we'll probably, he estimates, we'll have a, a, a higher Cinema Score, a higher audience rating, and we'll probably not s- suffer as deadly of a, a weekly drop, drop, and have longer legs. Obviously, this is just speculation, mm-hmm. but uh, we'll, we'll 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 be monitoring this as a, as Justice League is released. Um, obviously, and um, we were also talking last week about Quentin Tarantino's next film, which was supposed to be like a Charles Manson uh, movie, but it's kind of just a movie about 1969. Um, Mm -hmm. We now have learned that he has a big star in mind. H.T., what do we know?
2: So the Charles Manson movie that's not a Charles Manson movie uh, from Quentin Tarantino is eyeing Tom Cruise uh, for one of the roles. We do not know what role it is, but he could possibly be playing Charles Manson himself, uh, which would be certainly an intriguing choice. I think Quentin Tarantino has made a really great uh, use of uh, really familiar Hollywood actors and turning them into great character actors. We saw that with Brad Pitt and Glorious Bastards and Leonardo DiCaprio and Jay Go Unchained. So Tom Cruise would be one of the star-studded names that are in the running for this 1969 movie, which includes Brad Pitt, Leonardo DiCaprio, as well as Margot Robbie. Uh, none of the roles are nailed down yet, although Robbie is reportedly in the running for Sharon Tate, who was one of the women murdered in the Manson Family Murders.
1: By the way, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's Magnolia is one of my favorite movies of all time, and Tom Cruise is amazing as a maniac uh, uh, self-help guru in that movie. And I, it, just Watching his, his performance in that movie, I could totally see... Him playing uh, Manson, Ben. Do you have any uh, any opinion on this? Yes, I would love to see
0: Tom Cruise work with somebody like Tarantino. I feel like uh, Cruise has sort of fallen in with the same set of collaborators over and over again, and you know he's great in like the Mission Impossible movies and stuff like that. But I, I I feel like he is one of those guys that is consistently undervalued in terms of his acting ability. I feel like he is he has range, but just is so rarely called upon to actually exhibit it in movies these mm-hmm. days. So I feel like Tarantino would be one of those guys that um, you know gives him the shot in the arm that that I and many of his other fans think that he needs to sort of uh, shock him out of um, this sort of action movie. Uh, Stupor that he's been in over the past (laughs) few years And again, I I like those movies that he's done You know, Edge of Tomorrow is fantastic, for example But but I just think there's so much more To Tom Cruise that we haven't seen yet That can be uh, Unlocked and utilized by the proper director And Tarantino seems to be that guy
1: Um, Also in the news, uh, you know, we were talking about Amazon is going to be producing and releasing a Lord of the Rings prequel TV series that we don't know much about. But we've now learned that Christopher Tolkien has resigned from the Tolkien estate. What does this mean? the future of lord of the rings in movies and television ben what do we know
0: so yeah christopher tolkien who's the son of jrr tolkien had been sort of the head of the tolkien estate he is 93 years old and he has now decided to step down from that position of leadership in the the company i guess the the estate and um I guess what we really the the interesting thing here is that he stepped down in August and word is just now coming out about this now. So as you know, the Amazon Lord of the Rings deal just happened a few days ago. So I think it's safe to say that that happened without Christopher Tolkien's input because he famously was not a fan of uh, Peter Jackson's uh, movie adaptations of Lord of the Rings. And he has been. From what I understand, sort of the one who's been, uh, you know, keeping Hollywood at arm's length from all of the, the Tolkien stories basically since then. So, um, so yeah, I, I think that this could mean that like theoretically, uh, the Cimmerillion could be optioned for a separate TV show, you know, aside from this Lord of the Rings show that's going on this Lord of the Rings, uh, prequel series, um, other Tolkien works could conceivably come forth. And as Jacob Hall speculates in his article that he wrote at slashfilm.com, which you can read and I recommend that you do that. Uh, he says that uh, a theme park could potentially buy the rights to like a middle earth land, which I think when we talked about like what sort of uh theme parks movies we would want to see turned into theme parks, I think that was one of my choices. So I would love to see something like that come to pass um, without Christopher Tolkien Sort of in that position of leadership, it seems like the the floodgates
1: could open and we could see more Tolkien works coming to Hollywood sometime soon. Uh, while, while we're recording this podcast, not huge news, but uh, it has been revealed that Disney's uh, Prince Charming film that they are uh, setting writer-director Stephen Chomsky, uh, who did uh, The Wonder um, t- for for that Disney uh, live-action fairy tale, uh, not much is known about that um seem i've i've been seeing wonder i'm not a huge fan of uh steven's work do did, did either of you have a, a, an opinion on that
2: um he also did the perks of being a wallflower which was a fine good I, movie. I
1: actually really loved that film i yeah, felt like that really like captured that the coming of age uh, yeah story and he wrote beauty and the beast right so the the new
0: version that came out this year so i guess that's a uh You know, Disney, as they tend to do, is
1: keeping it in the family again. Oh, for sure. Anyways, moving on to stuff that is actually on our list of stuff to get to. And that is the last one is a movie called Boss Level coming from Joe Carnahan. Uh This is like a time loop movie. This sounds like something I'm interested in. Yes. So Joe Carnahan, who's the
0: guy who directed movies like The A-Team and Smoke and Aces, uh, NARC, The Grey, stuff like that. Um, He is uh, in negotiations with Mel Gibson and Frank Grillo to star in an indie action thriller called Boss Level, in which Grillo will play a retired special, special forces veteran trapped in a never ending loop. Resulting in his death every day. So this seems to be the latest in uh, this sort of Groundhog Day uh, tropes exploration that you know Hollywood seems to be doing. They just released uh, Happy Death Day not too long ago, which it seemed to have this almost this exact same premise um, as I just mentioned a little while ago. Edge of Tomorrow does this as well. Uh, I really like the idea of Frank Rillo teaming up with Joe Carnahan for this movie. And I'm not crazy about Mel Gibson being in this. I cannot fathom why Mel Gibson is still getting work. Um, mm. we're seeing all of these, uh, I guess, accusations and allegations and stuff tear, you know, all these waves through Hollywood right now. And Mel Gibson seems to be just sort of skating by as if, you know, whatever he did a few years ago has just completely left the public consciousness. He's starring in Daddy's Home 2 right now. And nobody seems to be doing anything about this. And I just can't (laughs) I don't understand why People are freaking out about some things and seem to be willing to give Mel Gibson a pass here.
1: You, you know, we're going to talk about this in the mailbag. But before we get to that, I do want to talk about the film because, you know, I, I love Groundhog Day. I love time loop stories. I'm, I'm excited that Hollywood is getting excited about time loops again. Uh, the other day I was browsing on Netflix and I came across there's this Marlon Wayans comedy called Naked where he wakes yes. up in an elevator, I think in las vegas or something i i don't know i I haven't watched it but like i'm like wow that's a weird take on a time loop that this guy wakes up naked (laughs) in a in an elevator um but boss level obviously that's a reference to video games right i I mean yes it sounds like it and
0: and you know it just seems like the gamification of uh (laughs) of hollywood projects continues there i mean it, it seems like you know, if you want to, if you want to sort of uh, zoom out and take a look at things in a little bit more of a macro sense, it does seem like video games and and movies and TV have been mixing in interesting ways. I was just watching uh, an NFL football game the other day and noticed that on the NFL Network, um, the camera sort of hovers behind the quarterback. Uh, on the field instead of showing the game, uh, I guess, from one of the sidelines like it traditionally does. It So it, oh, yeah. it basically mimics what a, a football video game looks like, and that's what the whole broadcast looks like. So I hadn't really noticed that before. I hadn't really paid much attention to NFL Network. I actually don't even know if that's something that happens every game. I'm sure people can write in and let us know. But
1: That, that actually I happens just, a lot. That's an innovation, the one sole innovation that has stuck in the NFL – uh, from the XFL, the uh, Vince McMahon, uh, uh, yeah, football and I, you program. know, normal normal uh, broadcasts use that um, that uh, I forget Spider-cams.
0: the name of the camera. Yes, the spider cam. They use it um, sort of sparingly, but this one broadcast, this one game, I was watching, they used it for every snap, and I was like, wow, this is they're really leaning into the video game element here. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, I, I'm not entirely sure. Um, it, you know, what sort of specific video game influence is going to be involved with boss level, the movie, we don't know much beyond just that one sentence uh, explanation of, of what the film is going to be like. But yeah,
1: it, it's also interesting that I think, you know, Hollywood has not been able to do a video game adaptation, right? There isn't like a great one yet, in mm-hmm. my opinion, and I think many people's opinion. But the, the ones that do come to mind are movies that are not that I would consider a video game movie, but they're not based on a video game like Edge of Tomorrow. Um, maybe something like Jumanji coming out might be like that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Why would I? Uh, and, um, <laughs> uh, yes, but uh, anyways, HT, do you have any opinions on ti- time loop movies? Or is this something we should see more of or is it oversaturated at this point?
2: Um, I don't think we're at the point of oversaturation yet, but I really do enjoy time loop movies. Edward Tomorrow is one of my favorite recent action films. And I really like just movies that play with time in general. So I think that it's fine. I just I had the same problems with Mel Gibson as Ben had, but I do like the idea. I think it's not quite original, but very creative and fun. And always I'm always like I'm always more open to seeing different ways of displaying action films or even sort of trying to imitate the video game experience because that's a very unique experience that they're starting to capture more on in movies, but not in video game movies themselves, which I think is really funny.
1: Okay, let's move on to the mailbag because you brought up Mel Gibson uh, and because we got this letter from Mel Gibson. No, we didn't. Uh, we, (laughs) We got a letter from Mark S. from Phoenix, and he writes in that after all the allegations against many heavyweights in Hollywood, is it acceptable to separate a person from their art? Can I still laugh at a Woody Allen movie? Can I still be in awe at a Roman Polanski film? Can I still be mesmerized by a Brett Ratner film? like, uh, red dragon and, uh, not solely filmmakers also, you know, actors, he brings up Casey Affleck, uh, the allegations against him and him, uh, feeling icky about, uh, kind of praising Manchester by the sea last year. Um, so I, I guess the question is, you know, what, what is our ability to separate art from the artist and should we separate art from the artist? Uh, you know, we were talking about Mel Gibson. I know that you've been very vocal against Mel Gibson in the in the past on the podcast and on the site, Ben. Uh does this Mean that you can never in, enjoy a Mel Gibson movie, and should you not?
0: Yeah the the difference between whether or not I should and whether whether or not I can is uh, a line that I'm haven't quite been able to figure out how to cross or not. But I think um, for me, and I'm I'm really interested in what you guys have to say about this before I just like go off on some big rant. But very quickly, um, for me, I think uh, just the way that I approach it personally is. Um, for me, it's a little easier to watch, uh, somebody's older, um, movies before, uh, they were accused of something like that because it's almost like, um, God. Okay. So certainly not to, to downplay any, uh, any of their victims and what they've gone through or anything like that, but it's almost like a, a more wistful experience of like looking back, um, at what this person, uh, could have done or, or was doing before, we found out that they were terrible people, basically. Um, and I feel like I can still go back and watch, you know, Lethal Weapon and enjoy that movie. Um, you know, Mel Gibson's current behavior and, and behavior of the past few years has not really impacted that movie. But I, I don't think I can watch a movie that was made after those allegations came out where it just because it seems like it's rewarding um, Hollywood's decision to not do anything about it and to not, think about the victims in any of those situations and to just uh, you know continue facilitating bad behavior so that that's sort of my general take on all this stuff is I can I can maybe go back and look at um, some of these people's work um, you know before the the accusations came out
1: I don't know it, it, it's tough for me because I feel like there's it, this happens with certain and I've talked about this on the podcast in the past with certain individuals like Mel Gibson. and I, I have trouble watching him on the big screen. Like I know he did that uh Jody Foster movie a couple of years ago, where you know he had a puppet on his hand, I forget the name of that, but um I had a uh, the beaver the beaver, think. yes, I had trouble kind of you know laughing at that and whatnot, but you know other films with people like you know i I enjoy Tom Cruise's movies, and uh you know i'm not uh I'm not sure if he knows that Scientology is evil uh but you would think you would have to know right um and you know supporting him is supporting Scientology but for some reason you know, I, I like watching him so much that for some reason it, it doesn't should it bother me should you know should I should I not want to support him uh but uh, you know I enjoy his work so much that I, I see the movies I, I think site-wide you know we've we've made the decision that we have to cover everything because you know we we cover a film and t v and if we start making decisions based on who's an asshole and who's not uh we're gonna be covering very little on the site um, <laughs> so uh and, and we are kind of a news site even though we are a blog uh but um as a person and me making decisions of what movies I go see it's it's tough because like you know am I now not supposed to? go back and watch like any of the Miramax movies that I loved that were produced by Harvey Weinstein. And uh, do you know what I mean? Like is, does, am I supposed to have a bad taste in my mouth? Should I, um, Kevin Spacey, you know, uh, five years down the line, I'm I'm betting he's going to be making movies again. And I'm betting, you know, I mean, he's a good actor, so it's probably going to be in some good stuff. should, I feel bad about eventually supporting him, even if he apologizes and uh, HT, what are your thoughts on this?
2: Well, I think this is an issue that everyone has to go through personally, that it's, it's based on their own personal decisions, whether they want to separate the art from the artist. I'm of the opinion that art doesn't happen in a void. I think the art artist is as connected to the art as, and like their own personal life um, is connected that to that to art as anything else in context, the political context, the environmental context uh, is. So, and for me, I also have I also struggle. I loved a lot of older Kevin Spacey movies. Uh, I uh, the the uh, sorry, the usual sus the sorry. Okay, um, American Beauty, uh, the Usual Suspects. Those were some of my favorite films. Um, and yeah, it's hard because uh, it hard to divorce that context uh, knowing retroactively can I go see that movie again and see it the same way I did but I don't know if I can and so that's something that everyone has to feel, has to think about I guess um, I think for me like where I would draw the line uh, would probably be whether that story that movie uh, is incredibly informed by the artist, the director, filmmakers, uh, personal experience. Woody Allen, for example, a lot of his films are incredibly informed by his own relationships and his own sort of penchant for younger women. So for me, I haven't seen a lot of his catalog and That that was because I started watching his films later, but then it also had to do with the allegations I learned of later. So I just never got around to watching them and I've never felt worse off for it. So, So, So was
1: it that you were watching them and you were feeling, you know, the art, you know, you're feeling him in the work and that disgusted you or.
2: I think it was something that came retroactively i did yeah. really like midnight in paris when i saw it but i didn't watch many of his older films until later and that was when i became more aware of the allegations surrounding him and his adopted daughter current uh wife and so i definitely saw some of his older films and did not particularly was able not able to particularly divorce that like context of uh knowing what the allegations surrounding him, and knowing that kind of um, how that drove his films, so I just kind of I never went around to watching his entire catalog, and never felt uh, the worse for it. So it's something that I think that is a, an issue that everyone has to sort of grapple with, and um, yeah, it's it's hard to say. Uh, that's where I would draw the line, though, whether that the personal the personal lives in particularly inform the, the movies and the stories that they are creating themselves. Cause I feel like that in turn, in turn is um, sort of encouraging or enabling them even more.
1: Yeah. You know, the, now would probably be a good time to bring up Louis CK and his latest film, which is what? I love you, daddy. I think is the name of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, which, you know, it seems like it, you know, we don't know if it's going to get released, should it not get released? You know, there's hundreds, if not thousands of people that put their hard work into this film, but it's, you know, has this guy that we know these things about that we don't feel good about. And, you know, it's probably, you can feel probably the artist in that movie. So, you know, what should the fate of that film be?
0: Yeah, that's a really good question. I'm sort of on eight on the same page as HT there when it comes to, um, thinking about how, how involved a person was in the creation of something, um, you know, for like Louis CK's standup specials, for example, that's like just him. Um, there's nobody else really. I mean, I, I sure you have like the crew and, and the people who like literally film him on a stage or whatever, but that's like a, a far smaller percentage of people. Uh, Crew wise that are involved in the making of one of those specials than it is, you know, for somebody on the number of people that worked on a a full feature Um, So definitely be fine and am fine with with like Netflix scrapping his comedy special um, Because that's like basically just words coming directly from him the movie Because he wrote and directed it. It also seems like you know, he's it's basically a mouthpiece for Whatever he wants to say, and especially with that movie, because I mean, that that's like one of the weirdest examples you could choose, Peter, just because the film is like so much about um, or supposedly so much about his relationship and or a relationship with uh, a young girl in that that film and a much older man. And then there's like scenes involving somebody, you know, like miming, masturbating in front of people, which is like what he was accused of doing and admitted to doing. So there's a lot of like uh, extra baggage associated with that movie. But uh, like thinking to the Miramax question, you're talking about, like, should you be able to go back and, and watch the movies that Harvey Weinstein produced? I feel like it, it's probably easier to go back and do that. Just knowing that um, Weinstein, uh, I guess, essentially allowed Yes, he was definitely involved with those productions, but a lot of times he would just be the person who could facilitate other people telling their stories, you know. And I'm I'm much more apt to go back and be able to revisit those uh with my conscious clean uh personally, than I would be, you know, watching something that like Harvey Weinstein directed, for example. He never directed a movie, but you know what I'm saying.
1: Yeah, it, it's um this, this is such an interesting question, and uh, I, I know that you, you, you were refraining from going off on a rant about Mel Gibson <laughs> earlier. So I'm, I'm going to bring us back to that right now is, um, you know, have you, have you chosen to not see any Mel Gibson movie because of your, your, your uh, feelings for that actor?
0: Yes, yeah. Um I mean he was in god, I'm trying to remember the name of it. I'll look it up here as I'm talking. But uh he was in this action movie uh not too long ago, a year or two ago, and it looked like, you know, a, a couple years ago, a few 5 10 years ago, I probably would have been like, "Oh yeah, this is uh this is interesting." It was called Bloodfather. Um huh. this looks like the kind of like down down and dirty uh, you know, indie sort of action movie that I would like watching, but because um, the film was made after he, you know, all of the, all of his, you know, personal behavior came out. I was like, I'm just not going to see this movie. Same thing with like the expendables three. I saw the first two movies, saw that he was in that one. And I was like, you know what? I'm good. I'm, I'm fine. Uh, get the gringo is another one. I, I, you know, I probably would have given that one a shot and just decided not to. So, uh, I guess actually one of the, um, more, uh, Intriguing examples of this is one of his upcoming movies. It's called Dragged Across, Dragged Across Concrete. And it is directed by uh, S. Craig Zoller, who is the guy who directed Bone Tomahawk. I love Bone Tomahawk. Uh, he uh, Zoller also directed Brawl in Cell Block 99, which I just saw a couple weeks ago and enjoyed that movie, too. Vince Vaughn is in this movie and Mel Gibson is in the movie. And it's just like, you know, it's about... Um, uh, policemen and like strong arm tactics and like, you know, stuff that's very um, sort of in the news right now, but it stars Mel Gibson. And I'm like, you know what? I'm, I'm just not going to do that. And you know, that's where my personal line is. And I'm sure other people are going to value um, you know Zoller's contributions to cinema and and be interested in seeing this up-and-coming director in his work and, and be more apt to give that movie a shot But I just I I personally can't do it. So uh, Okay, so yeah, that's me
1: here. Here's the question uh, Say Mel Gibson has atoned for his sins. He has you know, apologized Uh is there a point where you can give him a chance? Like, what is the where's the line? Like, yeah, because I, I don't know. I, I think with certain people, obviously, you know, the sexual assaults, the Harvey Weinstein. I don't think I could ever give that guy a chance ever again. Right. Um, For
2: me, I I want to point out that uh, Mel, people, actors like Mel Gibson, uh, even. Actors who have messed up, like Robert Downey Jr., who have faced criminal charges, they are able to bounce back so quickly in Hollywood and are able to find redemption in Hollywood five, three years after their alleged scandals. But actresses like Winona Ryder, who had a shoplifting scandal uh, in the late 90s, early 2000s, that basically ruined her career for a good 10 years. And she was not able to find work, essentially, in Hollywood. But do, do you think that-
1: do you think that's because she's a woman or do you think that's because she kind of had this uh I don't know how to say it like uh em- like people envisioned her as kind of like this good person whereas Mel Gibson we it's like a man's ma- you know of course you uh, punch well, someone do you know that's what I mean? that's
2: like a whole other issue but I definitely think there's a certain double standard that's going on in Hollywood and that women are upheld to a very much higher level than men are. And I think my issue is that, you know, maybe Mel Gibson can atone for his sins, but I just don't think that it's fair that even if he does, we can so quickly forgive him uh, versus other actresses or um, women in the field who make a few mistakes and are not given quite the same chances. I know this is a whole uh, other issue, but it's just an issue that... Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah. And you're raising a great point. And because if Mel Gibson were to get like a full on comeback, uh, which I mean, guys, he was direct. He was nominated for Best Director at the Oscars last year. He's <laughs> in the midst of a full on comeback, which is insane to me. But uh, but exactly what she is talking about him being able to continue to tell stories takes away an opportunity from somebody else to be able to tell that story. And I just I can't reconcile that in my mind. so yeah, it's, it's really hard and Peter, I know there are different definitely like different levels to this. you know the Mel Gibson thing is way different than you know a, a, a sexual assault and all of that kind of stuff but again, this is like HT was saying this is gonna be something that everybody's gonna have to draw your own personal line and figure out um, you know how how much you can take and I think if if the whole thing, if all of this if it if it raises, Awareness of all the stuff that's going on and if it makes us go back and look at some of these movies in a different way or makes us affects us so much that we can't even go back and revisit some of these movies but if we have the knowledge of what's going on and you know maybe we can do something to help then maybe it's worth it in the end.
1: I think I think that's probably a good uh, sentence to end off on. Um but I would like to hear your your your, your uh feelings on this so if, if you 're out there and you have something that we have not said, please send it to peter at slash dot com and obviously to submit questions to the mailbag, you send it to that same email address that 's Peter at SlashFilm.com. And please mention your name and general geographic location in case we we mention it on there. Uh, You can find more of my work at SlashFilm. You can find Ben at Ben Pears on Twitter. You can find H.T. at H.TranBui and the Millennial Falcon podcast. You can find all the stories we mentioned today on SlashFilm.com and linked in the show notes. And uh, you can uh, find this podcast published every weekday on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, all the popular podcast apps. Please go to iTunes, give us a rating, give us us a review, and we will see you tomorrow.